ಜಮುರೂಪುರಿಂಗೋಷ್ಠಾವತಿ ರಾಧಾಕುಂಡಂ ಗಿರಿಪುರಂ ಮಹೋರಾಧಿಕಮಧಾಭಶಂ ಪ್ರಾಪ್ತೋಯಶ್ಯಾತಿಗ್ರೀಪಾಯಶ್ರೀಗುರುಂಚಕಲ್ಪತರೂಭ್ಯಶ್ಚಾಪಾಸಂದ
he's invited me to talk about the idea of personalism and saintliness, right? Okay, just in case confirming with him. <laughs> so, of course, what's the meaning of this? These are two interesting themes or concepts, personalism and saintliness. Because there are different forms of saintliness, or we were use the word saintliness, and maybe each of us will have a different idea with saintliness. We may also speak about personalism, and each one of us may have their own idea about what's personalism. <laughs> so I'd like to share a few words. What's for us is personalism and saintliness. So to be a personalist means that we, among other things, we try to develop a personalist, personal relationship uh, with a personal God. And for us, saintliness is deeply tied with that. Someone who is a saintly person, for us in our tradition, is someone who has love for God. So for, for having love for God, you need to be a person and you need God to be a person. If there is no two people, you cannot speak about love. Love has to be an interaction between two. So for us, it's, if everything is or becomes one in every sense of the term, like some different paths may promote, the ultimate experience may be some one of peace, maybe, as it is described, shanti, 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 but not of love, because for love, love requires two. Basically, I love you. <laughs> See, if everything became one, there is nobody loving someone else because there is not someone else. <laughs> but if we keep our individuality, our personhood, our identity as individuals, then we can speak about love. And for us, of course, this ideal relationship of love, this ideal standard of saintliness has to do with our relationship of love with God. In our particular tradition, as you may know, we, when we refer to God, we do not only refer to God as a person, but we would like to define him as the supreme personality of Godhead. Maybe you have heard this expression, supreme personality. Not only the a person, the, the person of God, the, the personality of God, but the supreme personality of Godhead. So we are trying to serve and love an hyper-personalized <laughs> person. <laughs> so if we want to love someone who is hyper-personalized, probably we have to become hyper-personalized ourselves. We cannot be depersonalized and pretend to love the hyper-personalized personality of Godhead. That doesn't make too much sense. So I want to be saintly, which means for us, I want to love God. But love God means he's the supreme personality of Godhead. So for that, I have to also develop my own supreme personality, my, own, my personality in its supreme form. We, we cannot just address Krishna, our supreme personality of Godhead. We cannot address him with a half-baked sense of personhood. No. It won't work because it's, he's hyper personalized. So that will require from us to be fully persons, to be full individuals. So the idea of radical personalism, again, the word radical, I clarified many times, is not a bad word. 
the word radical may be connected to something bad. There was a radical reaction. There was a radical revolt. But I can also say radical grace, radical forgiveness, radical affection. So radical means something to its very core, to its very root. So radical personalism asks the, ask this question, basically. Who am, can I ask you one copy of the book, one second? I would like to share a few words from the back cover. I don't know if you are, you, you can reach it. Yeah. I would like to share a few words from the, from the back cover of the book, basically in this connection, which says, how can we be all that we can be today? Not tomorrow, but today, as living emblems of devotion and then facilitate that epiphany in others. What are the fullest implications of being a person? And even more so, what are the implications of God being a person? What is the highest prospect for these two uniquely personal beings, us and God, when they relate to each other through love, the most personal of all fundamental interactions? This is radical personalism. So, so basically, this book is an exploration of what it means for us to be a person, what it means for God to be a person, and what it means for such two people, so to say, we and God, trying to relate to one another through love. And love is the most, again, personalized interaction. You cannot not be a person and love. Love demands personhood. <laughs> and the greater the love, the greater the demand for personhood. You follow my point? Because I'm saying this because sometimes when I say, I want to love, I want to love God, but sometimes we do not measure the implications of that, what it takes to love God. <laughs> Who is God? What is love? And therefore, what is saintliness, at least for us? So <clears throat> a saint in our tradition, the word saint, Roughly, it will be translated in the, in the Sanskrit term sadhu. You may have heard the word sadhu. We sometimes it's translated as saint. Although more technically, more specifically, the word sadhu comes from the word sad. And sad means real or truth. So a sadhu is someone who is honest. Literally speaking, sadhu means an honest person. Because we also can perform saintliness <laughs> externally and that's not very honest no? so i can dress as a saint if you will oh you have those robes you seem so saintly but there are only saffron robes no? i have to be honest in my inner life in, a, in my inner world to actually be a saint proper which is not so easy there are, and, and there are degrees of saintliness interestingly when we say there are degrees of saintliness the word sadhu in the Bhagavad Gita, which I imagine you may be aware of, Krishna uses the word sadhu a few times in the Bhagavad Gita, three times to be more precise. And probably the verse in which, more, the most famous verse in which Krishna uses the word sadhu, he describes a saintly person, but not in the most uh, usual way you may imagine. <laughs> but it's in connection to this idea of someone saintly being honest. Try to bear in mind this idea of sadhu as honest person. Even if you are not in the topmost level of realization, if you are honest, wherever you may be, Krishna will consider, oh, you are a sadhu for me. Mm -hmm. So you may imagine which is this verse when Krishna says, no matter where you are, you are a sadhu for me. 
This is probably the most controversial verse of the whole Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> Chapter 9, verse number 30. Apichit sudurajaru bhajanti mamananyabhak sadhur iva samanta vyasamyakya vyasitu hisaha. Krishna just the word sadhu there. Once that's the main verse in the Gita when he used the word sadhu. But what he says before using the word sadhu, <laughs> he's saying, even if you are sudracharya, <laughs> you have the acharya, you have heard the word acharya. What does it mean, acharya? Sorry? Acharya, teacher. Teacher, someone who teaches by example, preceptor. But Krishna is he's speaking apichet sudurachara. So he's referring to someone who instead of being an acharya, he says sudurachara. Achar means good behavior. Durachar means bad behavior. And sudurachar means very bad behavior. So he says, even if you have very bad behavior, and don't take this verse wrongly as an excuse to have very bad behavior. I will clarify that immediately. Even if you have very bad behavior, but you are worshiping me exclusively. You are determined in worshiping, loving me exclusively, despite your mess yet. <laughs> For me, that person is a saint already. Why? Because such person is properly situated in his and her determination. In other words, I want to love God, but instead, yet I cannot love God yet. I find so many struggles, so many ups and downs, so much embarrassment, so, so much humiliation. I'm going through my, by my own self on a daily basis. <laughs> But sincerely, I want to love you. Sincerely, I want to surrender to you. Despite all my shortcomings, which are part of my human journey, so to say. What Krishna says in that verse, for me, you are a sadhu already. For me, you are a saintly person because you are honest. <laughs> Remember, sadhu means honest. So you are honest about where you are. No matter where you are, you're honest about where you are. Immediately, that gives you this quality of sadhutva or saintliness. Of course, there are degrees of saintliness, and, and there may be a long way ahead of us to reach saintliness in capital letters, so to say. But it all begins there. It all begins with a sinner that is, is not giving up, so to say. <laughs> that, that's, that's the most generous definition of Krishna. What's a, a sadhu? It's a sinner who still does not give up. And still continues trying to do it better, to, to be to be a surrendered soul. So I'm making this point again because sometimes we hear saintliness and immediately we feel, oh, I do not belong to that category. And that's not for me. That's way upon for those guys who have an aura and enter the room floating or on wear these fancy clothes or stuff like that. <laughs> but no, Krishna says the Gita to be a saint at least to begin. For us, being honest means, again, acknowledging things that are not too high, are not too transcendental, are way more embarrassing than any other thing. <laughs> but that's the way of saintlyhood. In fact, if you study the, our main books like Srimad Bhagavatam, as we were talking a few hours ago with Ram Das and Sita Devi, we were talking how, okay, the Srimad Bhagavatam is giving us <clears throat> these high examples of exalted devotees 
but also Srimad Bhattan is sharing how many of those exalted person exalted personalities sometimes also go through many, many chapter, many messy and, and embarrassing chapters on in their journey of becoming who they end up being. So that message message is clear for us. In our way to saintliness, we'll have to go through another chapters, which also are saintliness, but will be play themselves out in the form of uh, honesty, authenticity, transparency. Mm. Krishna says, that person is a sadhu for me. And most of us need to go through that chapter first before attaining the immaculate, impolite levels of, of the topmost self-realized person. We may idealize that and romanticize about that. Oh, I want to be there, I want to be there. But yeah, and it's beautiful, but the price to get there is to be fully honest, fully transparent. Nothing to hide, basically. We have to be naked in front of God. That's the, we have to be totally surrendered. As, we were, as I write in my book with the idea of darshan. Sometimes the word darshan is understood as seeing. I will have darshan of the deities. And sometimes we think, I will see Gornitai. No. Darshan means I will stand in front of God to be seen by him, to be seen by her. So they can see me in all my nakedness. I don't want to bring any mask and any performance to look cool in front of God. <laughs> He's in my heart. He knows everything. So there's no need to perform in front of him. Like, Hey, Krishna, look how nice I am, my nice steel, my nice clothes. I'm very, I do very paka, a very nice devotee here. Nothing to reprove. No, not, not, Krishna is piercing all through all those layers and, and seeing what I am in my raw version, so to say. <laughs> so honesty means if you have brokenness, if you have woundedness, you have all these layers of even unresolved human issues, it's okay. I mean, I'm not celebrating keep them and increase them, but but broke, bring them to the table, so to say. Present yourself in front of the divine in that nakedness and trust his mercy, trust his love, unconditional acceptance of how you are right now. It's not that Krishna is telling you, oh, no, no, first you have to be impeccable and perfect and only then appear in front of me. If not, I don't want to see you. You are a mess. <laughs> That, that's not the God we worship. At least that's not the God I worship. We worship a God who is Karuna Sindhu. He's an ocean of mercy. Patita Pavana. He's a redeemer of the fallen. There are like oozing of unconditional affection. So there is no need to perform in front of them. Like I, I'm trying to deserve your love and to show myself perfect. No need of playing saintly. For us to be saintly, not to play saintly, but to be saintly, to be honest. <laughs> that's it. That, that's what he asked for. And sometimes for us it's too much to pay that price. To be honest, oh my gosh. <laughs> but that's how the Srimad Bhagavatam begins. Dharma prajita sorry kaitavotra paramonirmat saranam satam. Thank you. <laughs> so that's the word. It's almost the first verse of the Bible. Say, this book is directed to those who are honest. Dharma In this book, Atra, we reject totally 
cheating in the name of religion, Bhagavatam is saying. That's powerful. That's how the book begins. Like saying, if you want to be a cheater in the name of religion, just close this book immediately because it's not for you. But if you want not to use religion as a filter, as a performance, if you want to be satam, you want to be honest, okay, go to the next verse, no problem. <laughs> but this is all about honesty. The second verse saying, this is about honesty. If you are not willing to be honest, don't continue reading this book because you may be using the Bhagavatam to cheat yourself even. And that's not the saintliness we are talking about here. We want to be honest, trusting that again, God is accepting us unconditionally. There is no danger, no fear in being honest, in being truthful. In truthful. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna even mentions, before talking about transcendence even, when he's describing the three gunas, tamas, rajas, and sattva, and when he's describing speech in Raja, Tamas, Rajas, and Sattva, he say speech in Sattva, or to speak on the level of goodness, let's say, means to speak in a way that is truthful and beneficial. So again, he's bringing this idea of honesty, truthfulness. That's one of our four main pillars. You may have heard about the regulative principles. So one of those four and I must say that, and I mentioned that in my book as well, just in case, one of the four regulative principles is not about not gambling. The principle is about being truthful. Not the same. I mean, not gambling is a way of being truthful. But you cannot gamble and be untruthful in so many other ways. <laughs> you follow my point? So the actual principle is satyam which means truthfulness. No, it's not about don't go to the casino. <laughs> I mean, don't go to the casino. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not promoting that here. <laughs> but my point is don't think by not going to the casino. I'm already truthful. That's okay. I don't need to be truthful in any other form. I'm not going to the casino. I think that's more than enough. <laughs> no, it's just like we have to begin somewhere. So, okay, let's begin with not going to the casino. That's just like the warming up. So to say, there are so many other levels of truthfulness. And, and gradually we have to embrace those. And, and, and that is, that's the actual regulative principle. So again, truthfulness has to be with honesty. And honesty had to be, again, with recognizing who we are as a person. Remember the topic of today's lecture, personalism and saintliness. To saintliness, I try to make the point, and sorry if I'm extending too much, <laughs> but I need to make the point. Saintliness is basically, at least on some level, synonymous with honesty, transparency, authenticity. And also, that means personalism, because I'm a person, I have to be honest about who am I as a person. Who am I as a person? And in this connection, after describing a little bit what's honesty and personalism, I like to describe, describe what's not that. Because sometimes we need to understand one thing from both angles. What something is and what something is not. Sometimes we need the two, the two perspectives. Sometimes what is not helps us more in some cases. I remember one devotee making a clip on how not to chant Japa. <laughs> 
And that, that was for many more clear than to make a video how to chant Japa. <laughs> because probably more, most of them were chanting in the wrong way. So they first needed to know how not to do that, what they are already doing. And then, okay, let's talk how to do it. I remember also reading this book some years ago by Eric Fromm, The Art of Loving. I don't know if you ever read it, it's very interesting. So he sp speaks about what's love. But of course, before speaking what's, what's love about, he, he dedicates a whole first chapter to describe what's, not, what's love not about, what's not love. If you survive that first chapter, <laughs> he will speak about what's love about. And I say if you survive, because in the first chapter he addresses the idea that most people have about what love is. And he dismantles that idea. Lovingly, but he dismantles it. <laughs> so you realize, oh my gosh, the idea I had of love for my whole life was not actually very loving. And then you are ready to, okay, that, that myth has been deconstructed. Okay, now you are ready to learn what's love about <laughs> Today, I started in the opposite way. I, I spoke about what saintliness and personalist is about. Now I'm going to the negative side of it. What's that not about? So let's go in that direction. Because sometimes, again, in our tradition, we are, our tradition is a personalist tradition. Again, we worship the supreme personality of God. We are persons. We are individuals. But many times, and I mentioned that in my book, many times we are pretty impersonal. Although officially we are not impersonal, we are not saying I want to merge into Brahman or something. Sometimes we are very impersonal in the way we conduct ourselves. Because we can say so many things. But the important thing is how you act out what you say. I mean, you may say, I believe in something. But I will only show how much I believe in that through my own actions. If I say I believe in God but I act all day trying to control the results of my activities as if everything depends on me. I'm not saying I believe in God through my acts. I'm saying I'm the controller. Follow my point? So I can say I believe in God, but through my acts, I'm an atheist. <laughs> I'm contradicting my words. So that's why in the scripture, always over and over and over and over and over and over again, they will use this three, threefold expression. Tanuman, Tanubak Manovir, or different words, but Tanubak Manovir with, with body, with words, and, and with thoughts. We are to represent the divine. It's not just saying it. No, I love God. Okay, let's see your acts. <laughs> and let's see what you are thinking behind your words. Then we have this alignment no? thoughts, words, behavior. Okay, then, then you, yeah, then you believe in God. Then we believe you. <laughs> but sometimes, again, in the name of being personalists, and I take my degree of responsibility in this connection for sure, sometimes we behave in an impersonal way or depersonalized way. So that's not a very nice way of representing a tradition. I'm a personalist, but then I conduct in an impersonal way. That creates some cognitive dissonance, so to say. Like, but you are saying this, no? like, do what I say, but not, but not what I do, this type of things. No? With all love and affection I have for my dad, I remember when I was a child, he would smoke. He would tell me, like, but you cannot smoke. 
uh, with, with a cigarette in his hand. So, of course, that created the result that as soon as I could, I tried my first cigarette, of course, <laughs> because that was a, the, the message in, in included a contradiction, and that contradiction inspired some rebelliousness in me. Okay, you are saying this, you are not doing that. Okay. So it's important that we are, <clears throat> as much as we can, consistent what we will say, what we do, what we think. Again, saintliness, honesty. Honesty means whatever I'm telling you today in this lecture, I, I'm committing to try to put that in practice. And, and Krishna knows. <laughs> and it's, you, you may think, oh, it's so, it's so nice to be seated in, sitting in that fancy seat that the Swami has and mic and camera and saying all this stuff. But I can tell you that's pretty rough because whatever you say <laughs> with the microphone online, two microphones, <laughs> two cameras, <laughs> No, I have witnesses here. So whatever I'm saying, Krishna is taking note of that. I say, okay, you say all this nice stuff in your lecture. Let's see how much you live up to that on a daily basis. And the tests will come. Oh, my God, they come. And sometimes you realize, oh, I, I, I spoke something that I was not up to in my behavior. And you experience that, that contradiction. And, of course, it's painful it's embarrassing, it's humiliating. <laughs> but that's also how learning sometimes comes. You know, for one to be, okay, I need to be more honest. I need to have more co cohesiveness between what I'm saying, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. Not in a neurotic way, but again, with honesty. So I would like to share with you a few thoughts about, okay, we spoke about saintliness and personalism. But let's reflect for a moment. Let's create some circle of collective uh, reflection and feedback on different ways in which we can end up being impersonal in our daily life, in our relationships, while actually we, we are expected to be personal. Because sometimes we need to, to become aware of those things that we may be already failing in, but if we are not aware of them, the problem is there, but we don't know there is a problem. So sometimes that's the actual problem. Sometimes the problem is not so much how to solve the problem, but first you have to become aware there is a problem. <laughs> and to have the courage to acknowledge, probably there is a, a, a problem, or more than one problem that I have been coexisting with for years, <laughs> and I'm not so willing to acknowledge there is a problem. So impersonalism for us is a problem, and it's a problem because probably we still may be pretty impersonal in some ways, although we officially say we don't subscribe to impersonalism <laughs> but unofficially still something may be there so it's important to detect some of these points in our attempt to be saintly and personal so for me there are different ways let's summarize them in four of course there may be more but how we can be impersonal in our daily lives one way is to be impersonal with ourselves, to be impersonal with other people, to be impersonal in how we relate to the world, and to be impersonal in how we relate with God himself. Again, all this while we practice personalism. So I'd like also you to invite 
to invite you to some brainstorming, so to say, <laughs> and think together about a few ways in which we, you think we may be impersonal. Let's begin with ourselves. So how do you think we may be per impersonal with our own persons in our own stage as practitioners? I'll give you a few hints if that helps at all. Like for example, neglecting your emotions in the name of that's material. I have to go be transcendental. So you may have some emotions, you may have some need for healing on, on, on that platform and we somehow dismiss that, downplay that. That's a form of impersonalism. You are not addressing your necessities as an individual. And that can happen in the name of being transcendental. Again, sometimes we may use spirituality as an uh, evasive, evasive technique, not to deal with our messy humanity, so to say. But spirituality is not for that. Spirituality is not a ticket for whatever, as I was saying yesterday, like some evacuation plan, I have to leave here as soon as possible and not deal with that stuff. It's called honesty. Again, sentiness is honesty. That will be one. Namrasa has another one? That was the one. Okay, I stole his idea. Sorry for that. <laughs> what else can you think about? How we can be impersonal with ourselves, not treating ourselves as, a, as an individual in our particular stage. Not being honest about where you are in your spiritual journey, your spiritual life. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for the idea. That's another classical way. Again, going back to the idea of honesty. We talked about that some hours ago with, also with Ram Das and Sita Devi. The importance of acknowledging where we are in, in, in the journey. Where we are there and not trying like to be higher than when we are actually. Or sometimes even don't try to be lower than when we are. Because sometimes we may use false humility and say, oh no, I'm so low and I'm so falling, I cannot do that. And actually you are ready to do that, but you are trying not to do that by, you follow my point. It's like if I, I give the example sometimes, if I go to my mom and I tell, I'm already ready to be an adult. I mean, I have 42 years, but I think I'm ready. <laughs> I should. And I go and say, Mom, I love you so much. And that glorious, beautiful time in which you were changing my diapers was so beautiful. So uh, let's let's stay there. <laughs> no? In the way Oops, sorry. In the way that we react to what is out of our control when it comes to dealing with others, like, their actions, I feel like a lot of times we uh, abuse ourselves because we expect other people to like act certain way, and we, you know, kind of like think everybody should be a certain way. And when we're in this type of journey, like, and then you see people like acting certain ways, so then you will kind of abuse yourself, like, why I'm angry about this, or mm -hmm. you, you basically trying to have everybody together so you don't you don't think about your own person and your own journey you're trying to have everybody around you be kind of on the same page mm -hmm. yeah i feel like a lot of times we mm -hmm. like attack ourselves for stuff that is out of our control and mm. create kind of like a hellish mm. yeah thank you yeah 
and lots of shame and guilt coming yeah. as a result of that, triggering more and more shame, more and more guilt, and it's like a self-perpetrating circle where, yeah, where we deny who we are. And sometimes it happens that we try also to fit in in some particular group or circumstance, and we basically cancel who we are, so we are accepted in the environment. No? Like we cancel our individuality, we cancel our needs just to fit in, just to be accepted. And, and of course, there is a deep, a deep necessity in every human being of belonging and being part of a tribe, so to say, and that's okay, but that shouldn't be at the cost of stopping to be who we are, basically. So you can only belong if you become who we want We want you to be. That's that's not a healthy invitation. Yes. Um, in a similar vein, I was going to say giving to others at your own expense. Giving to others, giving sir? Giving to others at your own expense, like using using altruism to not address your own needs. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. The mask. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that may take forms like codependency, and stuff like that, no? and it, it's masked, as you mentioned, very in a very noble way. <laughs> no? And I'm dedicating and I'm giving myself fully, but but actually, it's not at all about that. <laughs> so, and, and as you can see, this is all very subtle because externally it seems like noble surrender, giving yourself, but in turn, in, in invisible backdrop, there is something else going on, and we are dismissing ourselves as a person in the, in the process of apparently giving ourselves, we are stopping to be who we are. So that's not giving ourselves. Krishna wants us to be full persons, as I mentioned in the beginning. He's the supreme personality of Godhead. So he wants you as a full person and to give yourself fully as a full person. Not as a fool with double O, but as a full person. <laughs> yeah, Kesha Gopa. Very gross example. Okay, let's go there. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready. A, a perfect uh, Facebook account while your life isn't perfect. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. That's a way, a good form of non dishonesty, basically. A bit dishonesty. You, know, you are painting a picture of who. Uh, with this, we are not just in case, you now because some of us may be failing in some of this stuff. <laughs> We are not condemning anyone. No? We are just anal hopefully analyzing these things with compassion. For example, for me, someone is presenting Facebook or Instagram account or whatever, painting a perfect sense of being to the world. Behind that, I can see, I'm not just saying you're a cheater and dishonest, but even beyond that, I'm seeing you have so much fear of being rejected that you need to show yourself perfect so someone can accept you because you have maybe not never met unconditional love. Unconditional love means I love you despite your imperfections. But generally that's not the norm in this world. <laughs> People is not loving each other unconditionally, but actually the norm is you have to be perfect so someone can love you and accept you. So you try to be perfect. If, if I cannot be perfect, at least I have to fake that I'm perfect. No? Like I make a play of words in my book here in English, they have the same, fake it till you make it. <laughs> and my books say, no, no, that doesn't work like that. It works saying, naked till you make it. No, honestly, no? nakedness, vulnerability, that's 
that's the way to make it, not fake it, but make it, not like open. Of course, not everyone will value openness, not everyone will value honesty. So you need also to know when, when, where to express that, in which circle to be vulnerable. Because if you are vulnerable with someone who doesn't know, who doesn't appreciate your vulnerability, that will end up in abuse. And of course, that's not the idea. <laughs> but at the same time, we need to be vulnerable in some direction. So it's important to find people, at least one person in your life, with whom you can be like totally transparent. Sorry, well, you're I'm going to reject what I said. Earlier. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That applies on some level. It's okay. So some, <laughs> some people may use you know, their account for sharing good things and inspire. Yeah, yeah. May want to show the good points. Yeah, yeah. We are not against having Facebook account, just in case. I have, I have mine, so it's okay. I have, I have, I have a problem with that. I have to comment what he said about the social media stuff, because I feel like that um, it's like a like a knife or double. You know, what I mean, mm -hmm. you can use it for that mm -hmm. to like reach people, but also you can use it to like actually create another layer. Of like being away from 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 your original self and that spirituality, because mm -hmm. like a lot of people have like three, four accounts or whatever or different. <laughs> but what happens in that world, like it still affects your actual self, like your organs. When somebody hurt your feelings, you, you still get the negative mm -hmm. reactions, and you feel depressed, or you feel attacked, or you feel sad, or, or you feel happy. So I feel like that's a very dangerous. Like Shri Prabhupada said it a lot, like in the incarnation. Of, so like different extensions of yourself, like when you're a kid and then you go become a teenager and feel like that the social media um, accounts in in a way they do more harm than than good because they create like a lot of extensions of ourselves, but they are like <clears throat> like that, like a like a mask. Mm -hmm. Then actually it's like like your body to your mind, your shoulder, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Like yeah. that you got the Intellect, the mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got the mind, the intellect, the body, and you got the soul of the intelligence. So I feel like the, the social media account creates another layer on top of the actual physical body sometimes. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the point. It's an important point. In fact, in my yeah. book, I dedicate a whole chapter to, to social media because yeah. it's easy to say, it's also easy to say, I'm, not, I'm using social media in Krishna service. It's easy to say it, yes. but what's going on inside, no? So one needs to really be honest. Again, going by over, boiling down to honesty, honesty, be honest with yourself. Is that what's really happening? Or is, is that happening, but also 25 things also happening at the same time? So yeah, it's a very subtle and delicate thing, which can go against our own, our own person again, because we can end up cheating ourselves and creating so many layers of personality that we end up being anything but ourselves. No? So, so, so that's a very important point. One, one last point that I would like to share, of course, we can be doing brainstorming on this point forever, and it's great, but I would like to share a few other points, if you, if you allow me. One last point in this connection about how we can be impersonal with ourselves. And maybe this is a, a little bit more subtle one, but it's an important one, at least for me that sometimes we do not allow ourselves to accept that God is loving us unconditionally already. 
Krishna is accepting us unconditionally, but sometimes we do not allow that to happen. We, we do not believe that it's not possible. I'm not worth, I'm so, but unconditional love means unconditional love. Unconditional love is, there are no conditions, <laughs> but I am a mess. Yes, and that's why he loves you unconditionally. If God loves you only when you are perfect, that's not unconditional love. That's conditional love. There are conditions. Once you are perfect, I love you. There's a contract. We call it conditional love. And that's not love. <laughs> that's an oxymoron. You can have conditional love. Actual love is unconditional. But sometimes we... And I'm not telling that you are in that situation. I'm just speaking about the general template, template in our human consciousness. We, we have a hard time accepting that we can be loved, that we are lovable for God, because we, we, are, we insist so much about how bad we are, <laughs> how bad we are. And that's another way of keeping the ego in the center, because I'm so bad, I am the worst, and it all begins with I am, and I am, and I am. And at the end of the day, it's all about you, no? Like I say, this disciple that went once with to Srila Prabhupada and said, Srila Prabhupada, I am your most, most fallen disciple. And Prabhupada said, you are not the most anything. <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah. He knew, I mean, he, he, he couldn't be the most elevated disciple. So at least he wanted to be the most something. <laughs> so I'm the most fallen. We are not the most, and don't try to be the most something. Again, that's the ego wanting the most something price. Give me the most something price, whatever it is, but the most. I want the most something. No, 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 no need to that. No need to be the most something. Krishna already loves you. In all your ordinariness. Are you able to accept that? Generally, you have a hard time accepting that. No, 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 no. It's so humbling to accept that. I mean, it requires humility to accept I'm a mess and I'm being completely loved already. That's complete. That shakes all the structure of the false ego because the false ego and the arrogance is all about deserving. I, I do that, my own merit, I got it. I deserve it and I struggle and I got it. But in, in the department of unconditional mercy, you did nothing to deserve it and it's already coming. Wow, that's a completely a complete another different perspective. And we need that mercy. We need that unconditional love to be all that we can be. So if we deny that, that's a form, at least for me, that's a form of impersonalism. <laughs> we are denying ourselves the fact that we are being loved by God unconditionally. So that, that's going right against who, who we are as persons, all that we can be as persons. So anyhow, some thoughts about how we can be impersonal with ourselves. Even if we say, I'm personal, I'm a devotee, still you can be impersonal in some of these things. And this is not to make any one of you neurotic and bring me the whip and I start to chastise myself and get depressed. No, no, just to be introspective and aware and, and happy that we can be aware and continue working with, on, on this. So let's, let's move to another department, which will be how different ways in which we can be impersonal with others, with other people, with other persons, how we can be impersonal in, in the way we relate to other people. One example that comes to mind to do the kickstart 
when in our tradition there is a famous saint, we are talking about saintliness today, called Raguna Dasko Swami. He was he is pretty high saint. Mm -hmm. He's the embodiment of Prayojan Tattva or the very goal of life. He's generally identified, he's the acharya of Prayojan. The acharya of the goal of divine love is personified that person. So you can imagine who he was. <laughs> and at one point he wanted to be in instructed <clears throat> directly, personally, by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he insisted many times, Mahaprabhu, please give me some personal instruction, give me some personal instruction. So Mahaprabhu waited for some time and eventually agreed. And it's interesting. He gave three verses. The last part of the last verse ends up in the highest realm. Radha, Radha, Krishna, Siva, Manasa, Kribe. In your mind, sir, Radha and Krishna and Vrindavan. That's where it ends. But where it begins, somehow similar to the Upadeshamrita. No. It ends in Radha Kun and so on, but it begins in Bachuvig. <laughs> so this verse, Mahaprabhu starts saying what to Raghunadas Goswami. Remember, in terms of being impersonal with others. Which means don't speak gossip and don't hear gossip. Period. As basic as, as that sounds, begin there. No. Then let's not jump to, let's serve Radha and Krishna. But are you gossiping yet? Are you still gossiping? Yes, a lot. No. Again, social media. Oh, that's empowering gossip around the world. <laughs> that's basically 99.9% .9 used for that. Yeah. <laughs> because gossip is not only like, oh, this person did that, say that, but even just allowing myself to speak about other people without actually getting to know that person, without the willingness to be empathic with that person. I see you doing something. I already pronounced some judgment, but I'm, I don't. I don't take the time to enter in your shoes and know why and understand really why you are doing that. Who you are? What's the circumstance? I, mean, I need to be grounded in all that before reaching a conclusion. But most of us do not have time for that. We only have time to for labeling <laughs> people, situations conclusively. This, 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 that. And such person, oh, yeah, I know such person. He did that 34 years ago. So I know who he is. No, that's it. No, that person didn't have any chance to redeem, re repent, change. 34 years ago, you did that. Put in the box, end of the story. That's a form of gossip. That's a form of cruelty, of course. <laughs> I mean, for me, if you are not having an honest conversation with someone, that's gossip. Maybe my standard is too, too demanding. But if you are not willing to have honest conversation with a person when you are willing to make eye contact, to open your heart, to be vulnerable, to be honest, that's a form of gossip. That's a form of evasiveness and escape and self-denial, even in the name of talking with another person. So we call it gramya kata. Sometimes it's called prajalpa also. Prajalpa doesn't mean only to speak nonsense, but even you can speak high philosophy as a way of not being honest. <laughs> Use philosophy as spiritual bypassing. So that's my idea. Now you have to make your contribution. <laughs> Any other thoughts about you, how you can be impersonal? 
in connection with other people yeah not hearing others really only speaking to enforce your own thoughts and agenda hmm yeah that's very important also hearing hearing recently i, I learned a, a quote that i liked a lot if i will have known it before writing my book i would have put it there but it's not there so i'm sharing with you <laughs> it's a quote for paul tillich He's, he was a christian philosopher and he will say the first duty of love is to listen first duty if i want to love you first i have to listen to you I'm not willing to listen to you, I'm not willing to love you. Because love begins with listening. And we say the same thing in our tradition. We say, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnashmanam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Bandhanam, Dasan, Sakim, Admanivedam. But first, Shravanam, which is hearing or listening. Because no? hearing is not just, I'm there and something's going on and I hear. Listen is more specific, like, I'm listening to you. I'm paying attention. I'm willing to open myself to what you have to tell me. And that's complex because I mentioned that in my book, quoting Carl Rogers, who is a famous psychologist. He says, most people is terrified. Most people are terrified about listening. Because why? Because if you really listen to someone, means you are opening your heart for that person to enter or you are opening to enter. And that listening will transform you. And most people do not want to be transformed. <laughs> most, most of us ter are terrified about change. We want everything to keep remain the same. Although that's the very source of our misery, <laughs> that everything remains the same. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, paradoxically, we are terrified about listening because that implies change and transformation. But that's what love is about. Love is, if I love you, my love will transform you. You will no longer be the same person that you were before I loved you. And I will be transformed by your love. So love implies we will transform each other. If you try to love someone but not being transformed by that person, that won't work. <laughs> so yeah, listening is a very important thing and, 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 and being willing to... I mean, that's a conversation. In, in Sanskrit, we have these three terms, no? Uh, jalpa, Bitanda, and what's the third one? Bada. Bada, Jalpa, and Bitanda, which means three types of conversation. No? Just to conclude this idea. The first conversation, Bada, means a conversation proper, which means I hear you and you speak, and then I have my turn to speak and you listen to me. No? Both of us are listening to each other. Like when we are doing kirtan, kirtan for me is kind of the perfection of dialogue because now Rasa was singing, we were hearing. Then we were singing, he was hearing. So both of us are hearing and talking. And the topic of the conversation is something that is crucial for both. <laughs> Mahamantra in this case. <laughs> so that's bada. Bada means I talk and you hear, you hear and I talk. Then Jalpa means we are seated together and, and you talk and I allow you to talk, but I'm not hearing. I'm just waiting for my turn to actually say the important stuff. No? But I mean, I have to be, I have to be gentle. So yeah, 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 continue. Yeah, let, let me know when you're done. <laughs> no? And I'm like, okay. So it's more diplomatic, so to say. No? I allow you to talk. Well, I don't care what you are telling. I'm not listening to you. I'm not open. I'm just waiting for my turn. 
And of course, and Vitanda, which is conversation, but there's no conversation at all, is I don't even allow you to talk. <laughs> I'm just jumping on you with my own opinions and my own conclusions. And you not, don't have any chance of expressing your personhood. Again, it's only about what I have to tell you. So in the scripture, this type of conversations and mentioned, and of course, listening is crucial. Sorry, you were, you were wanting to share something. I was going to say, to add up to the point of Sagirada, like, um, I was meditating one day and it came to me, something like that, like how in the universe, nothing gets wasted and there's only two actual functions that are being, happening always. Uh, and it was like imparting energy and receiving energy. And like you were saying, like about a conversation, like these things happen so perfect. Krishna created it so perfect that it's happening automatically without even noticing. But like when you're talking, like somebody actually listen, that is, that's why it's no waste. Like, but when, like when you said the other conversation, the, the, the what's Bikanda? Which one of the three? The last one. Bitanda. Bitanda, you said that it goes to waste because everybody's just talking at the same time. It's because nobody's doing the other. Mm -hmm. I mean, one is not receiving, the other one is not mm -hmm. imparting properly. Mm -hmm. That's what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And, and that makes me think about this point that when, when there's a real conversation, you have someone giving and you have someone receiving. And it's so important to, to have those two experiences. It's not only important to give, it's important to learn how to receive. Sometimes I've seen people who are, as you mentioned before, too much about giving or giving themselves, but some, sometimes they are not able, willing to receive. And there is a place for receiving from a humble place. It's not that receiving is exploitation or selfishness. We need to know how to be proper receptacles, so to say. No? So thank you for that thought. <clears throat> Something else before going to the next category? Namrasa? When you are in a community and you maybe put projects before people. I think we're talking about that these days. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one. You may be part of a community and the community may have projects which are great, but you put the development of the project as a priority on top of the individuals, of the people. And the individuals only become instrumental for fulfill the, to fulfill the project. So you are useful as long as you support the project, so to say. You are useful as long as you give the required donation or whatever, but as long as you are not able to contribute, sorry, we don't care for you. <laughs> the project is all important. Well, while well, the important project is each heart of each individual, that's the actual project. And if we have some other project that has to be in service to the, the temple to build in the hearts, so to say, no? because you ultimately, as I mentioned in the book, the real, pro the real temple Okay, we have a temple, but the temple is to help us to construct a temple here. That's what Bhakti Nautakur say, Mama Mandir, you know, in the temple of my heart. Mm -hmm. Gradually, Krishna has the deity of Krishna has to be installed in the heart. The Mahatsap has to happen here. <laughs> yeah, and another, another idea that comes to mind before going to the next sec section is another way of being impersonal with others is we may have different opinions with other people. 
and we may not, how to say, we may not appreciate those differences. We may just relate with people we agree with. Only if we agree on everything, I, I love you, I like you. But if we defer, oh, sorry, I cannot relate to you. That's the way of being impersonal with the other person. Instead of saying, we defer in something and there is place for a valid difference of opinion. And we can even love each other, not even despite differences, we can love each other because of the differences. <laughs> That's a real challenge. No? I love you with the differences included. That's a challenge. The challenge is not so much, okay, I tolerate you with your differences. I love you. Even we have differences of opinion. That's a PhD to attain. So <laughs> sometimes that's not so easy, but that's a healthy challenge. You know? Because if not, we will only surround ourselves with people that agree with us. And that gives not actual feedback. Everyone thinks the same, have the same opinion, and it creates like isolated bubble. And whomever thinks differently, they belong to the other bubble. And generally we start to stigmatize that other bubble and vice versa. Again, going back to the dynamics of social media and so on. Or something that, that also comes to mind regarding, we have a few days ago an interfaith, so to say, meeting in, in, in New Jersey. It was very beautiful. Uh, but the opposite of that <laughs> will be an, a way of being impersonal to others is, I belong to this tradition and I develop a superior, superiority complex. And I see whomever does not belong to my tradition, inferior. That's impersonalism. You are treating other people as less only because they do not subscribe to your institution or to your, to your tradition. That's impersonal. <laughs> so even if you belong to a tradition and you feel this is the best tradition for me, <laughs> you should be careful not to impose that on others or see others that you are below me because you don't belong to my tradition. That's a way of being impersonal with other people in terms of inter-religious experience, so to say. No? Anyhow, some thoughts. I, I don't want to overextend myself. We have a few minutes. It's, it's 10 to 8. Yeah, you have a few minutes? Eight, a few minutes, with a few more thoughts and we conclude the idea. Another way of being impersonal, and remember all this in the context of reflecting of saintliness and person, personalism by going to the opposite of that, how we can be impersonal with the world. We talked about that yesterday in Namras's house. How can we impersonal with this material world, with this planet? Hmm? One will be by treating this world as something that is not sacred. Treating material world as something profane, as something bad. Well, actually, in our tradition, it is said, God is present in every atom. Imagine. If God is present in every atom, how can you see this world as profane? That will be a way of being impersonal in how we connect with Mother Earth, so to say. You want to mention something, sir? You raise your hand. I, I, I take it back. I misunderstood the, the angle you were coming at it. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Any other thoughts in this connection? How how to relate to this world in an impersonal way? Hmm. Yes. I've just been thinking. Um, 
one of the things is seeing Krishna in everything. Krishna is in every atom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I don't see Krishna in every person, then obviously I'm uh, giving that person a personality. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, seeing them as less than a person. Yeah. Or a person like who does see Krishna in every way. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Great. Yeah, that, that takes me to one section in the third canto of the Bhagavatam that requires a whole seminar, separate seminar, <laughs> but it's a very beautiful sec- section of verses, which basically Kapila Dev is mentioning, speaking about worship of the deity, but interestingly, then, then he says, okay, you are worshiping the deity, but if you don't see the presence of Krishna every, in every heart, your worship of the deity is useless. <laughs> If you worship God, here is God, here is God, here is God in my altar. It's only in the deity, but not in uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> But then you go off the deity and you start to relate with everyone. Like if God is not there, then you didn't get the lesson of what's going on in the altar. And if you properly worship God in the altar, that will help you to extend that vision of God is here to God is here, God is there, God is there, God is there. No, because if not, you are being impersonal. No, if you don't acknowledge God's presence everywhere, what to speak, in each heart, everywhere. <laughs> That's a form of impersonalism, sorry to say. <laughs> and probably we are all indulging in something of that. It's okay. We have to, we are work in progress. <laughs> but it's important to acknowledge that. And, and not to, sorry? Honesty. Yeah, exactly. Not, not to over-localize, not over-localize. God is there. Yeah, yeah, I'm not denying God is there. But what about outside there? No, no, he's only, as we said, we were saying yesterday, laughing. God is only in the altar, and actually only in my altar. <laughs> my house. In my house, in my altar. There is where Krishna is most present, I can tell you. <laughs> and everyone say, well, no, no, actually, he's more present in my altar, and in my altar, and in my altar. And end up being a whole ego fight about Krishna is not present in any of those places <laughs> with that false ego, so to say. So yeah, these verses of the Bhagavatam are very interesting because they speak very strongly about the importance of experiencing or acknowledging the presence of the divine in every person and relating to every person. Bearing in mind, each one of you are an embassy of God. Now, God is sitting in your heart and you're carrying God's presence in your heart. How am I supposed to treat you if God is in your heart? That's basic, simple, but how, how many times we forget that instruction or how many times we relate with one another as if God doesn't exist at all in, his, in that heart. So again, that's a form of functional atheism. No. I say I'm theist, but I treat you as if God is not in your heart. That's atheism. So, so I think it's important that we reflect deeply on these things, no? One more way I will say in, in which we may practice impersonalism in connection to this world is trying to practice our spiritual discipline, just thinking about leaving this world as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. That's not the, at least in our tradition, that's not the goal. The goal is not leave this world as soon as possible. The, the, the goal is love Krishna. <laughs> and you can love Krishna anywhere. <laughs> Whenever you love Krishna, in one sense, you do not do no longer belong to the material world. You are somewhere else in terms of consciousness. And again, Krishna is everywhere. <laughs> so if you love Krishna and Krishna is everywhere here, I mean, there's no need to run away from anywhere. 
But sometimes we, again, we conceive spiritual life as an evacuation plan to, into the afterlife. No? Have to run away over the clouds. <laughs> Krishna is over there waiting in the future instead of saying Krishna is right here, right now. That's a very different orientation. Instead, uh, Krishna is in the future, far away. Instead of saying Krishna is in the immediate present, right here. You choose how to conduct your practice. <laughs> I think it's very way more user-friendly to acknowledge Krishna is immediately right here, right now, everywhere, at every moment. No need to put him, throw him so far away <laughs> and create such a gap and abyss between him and me and probably get discouraged about that. <laughs> so anyhow, some thoughts in, in relation to how we can relate to this world impersonally instead of in a more realistic, sensitive, personal way. Yeah. Sorry, and that level of like acceptance and, and like empathy coming from this tradition is what like draw me to it. The level of how they accept, like whatever the level that you are, like you can ask questions. They encourage you to ask questions. When I first read like the science of uh, authorization by Srila Prabhupada, like that was one of the things that most. So it's just beautiful how in that verse that you said about the Sadhu Arkadia, I don't know how to pronounce it good, but it's like right there, Krishna is telling you, like showing you so much love and acceptance that you just cannot <laughs> help yourself but to love and, and fall in love with that message. So I just want to say thank you. <laughs> oh, please. Thank you for your words. I'm happy that you are connecting with, with all the... Er yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. One last case of Gopal, something else? You want to say something? Yeah, I'm just thinking about uh, collect, uh, collective experience or uh, so social uh, experiences that influence uh, as a habit mm -hmm. in personalism. For example, uh, driving a car, you know, it's a very, you know, it's an extreme impersonal experience. Like, you have all these cars next to you. Mm -hmm. And you don't treat anyone as a person because it's a car. And then, like, someone like cuts you, you say, "Oh, he's a bad guy." Mm. You, know, now, yeah, you, know. you don't say it's a bad guy. You say something else. <laughs> <laughs> Be honest. We are talking about honesty here. I'm not asking you to repeat what you will say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, that's a classical example where we see ourselves treating each other as completely like inhumanly ways. Now, we were talking about the other day that we, we are human beings. We have a human body, but doesn't mean we are behaving in a very human way. Now, having the vehicle doesn't mean that you are properly honoring it. So, yeah, we, need, we are humans in principle, but we have to behave as such. Now, generally, sometimes we say, oh, that was inhuman. But when you say that was inhuman, you only say those things in connection to some human. You don't say that was inhuman talking about a lion or an elephant. Oh, what the, that bird did was inhuman. You will never say that. What the cat did was inhuman. You will only say that to a human. <laughs> so only humans have the potential to be inhuman. So it's very important in connection to what you mentioned. Okay, we are humans, but not, do not take for granted your humanity. You have to embody that and behave as such, which has a lot to do with being personal and treating each other as an abode of God in everyone's heart. 
again, I, I know there is a huge gap between how we treat each other on the highway <laughs> and the principle of God is in every heart. So thanks for the extreme example, but that helps us to, to see, okay, where, where, where we are and where we want to be and what to do to reach that place. So one last point before concluding, <clears throat> and thanks for your time. One, the fourth type of impersonalism I want to highlight. Again, we already talked about being impersonal with ourselves, with other people, with the world. One last one, as, as, as strange as it may sound, is sometimes we are impersonal with God, in our relationship with God. So a few examples about that. I think we understand. To, to think we understand him. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. I gave a whole lecture a few days ago about that, and that was that was my point I want to share, so I'm happy that you said before beforehand, so it confirms I'm not the only one thinking in those terms. That's a very important point. I mean, we may rush and, oh, yeah, we don't understand, God. that's it, next topic. No, no, stay with that topic for a few years <laughs> because that has so many implications, no? I mean, Especially, and I write a whole chapter in my book on this called Divine Ignorance, <laughs> because sometimes we only we are too addicted to certainty. Like I, I want to know who God is. And whenever I figure that out, I get this sense of I know who God is, which is another way of feeling I control him. Because when, when you know about what something is, you can manipulate that. You can control that. We have this control. We are control freaks, basically. <laughs> and sometimes we project that tendency toward God. So we want to know who God is. And in our tradition in particular, I will say we are blessed, but that blessing can turn into a dangerous thing. And what's the blessing? That we have so much detailed information about who God is. In detail, who God is, who is, who are his associates, what does he do, and so on and so forth. Probably a more detailed information that you will find in, in any other tradition. But that there is a danger to that. And the danger is that once you know all that stuff, so to say, <laughs> you may feel, oh, now I, I know who God is. <laughs> and if you think you already know who the infinite is, because to say I know who God is means he's the infinite. So if you say I know the infinite, by definition, that's nonsense, basically. I already captured the infinite. I mean, that's a joke. But that's the tendency. So, so we should remain humble into the idea of, I know something about God by His grace, but I can never know everything about Him. Because it's not that God is a stagnant figure that is something and is always the same. By definition, God is always expanding and evolving. As I like to put it, Krishna is always becoming more Krishna. He was always Krishna, but he can, he's always becoming more Krishna. So you have to keep up with the pace of transcendence. It's not a, I already know Krishna here, so I captured him. I know who he is. No, no, he already is something else. He became his own. The scriptures say that at every moment, Krishna becomes more beautiful. It's not that he's beautiful and that's it. He's always becoming more beautiful. Nava Yoganam. He's always fresh, always new. If you say, I understand him, God cannot be understood. God is, not, God is to be loved, not to be understood. You can understand him by loving him. <laughs> but you can always love him more also. <laughs> you follow. If you say, I love God fully, 
That's not possible. You can always love him more, more. That's in constant expansion. That's the nature of transcendence, constant movement. In our tradition, we have the famous story in the 10th Cant of the Bhagavad and 14th chapter of Brahma. Brahma Bimohan Lila. Maybe you know this story. The bewilderment of Brahma. Brahma is the most smart person on earth, not only on earth, of the material creation. He, he's the greatest scientist, so the greatest mind. He has four heads that thinks in four directions. So you can imagine, pretty smart person. And he saw Krishna at the beginning of, of, one, of, of one creation cycle. At the beginning of creation, he saw Krishna. He had darshan of Krishna. And he had interaction with Krishna. It was a nice interaction as described in, in the Bhagavad. And they shook hands. Brahma was very inspired. So after some time, but he had certain, how to say, Krishna showed himself to him in a certain way at that time. But he committed the mistake of saying, okay, that's Krishna. No? Mm -hmm. I know Krishna. I already met him. I know who he is. And Krishna, he took note of that. And Krishna took note of what Brahma thought. Okay, you think that you know me. <laughs> See you in the next episode, Krishna said. So sometime after that, Krishna is with his friends in Vrindavan having a picnic. You know, in, 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 in full informality. Now you can imagine, generally your idea of God is not his having a picnic. You know? So Brahma saw Krishna in the beginning of creation, this very more. God-like idea, you know, Krishna's showing Gyan Mudra, conferring knowledge to Brahma, speaking in a more like formal way. So Brahma was, okay, this is Krishna. Okay, I understand him. And then he sees Krishna again in Vrindavan, and he's having a picnic with his friends and scrolling on the ground and playing and eating with the left hand. And Krishna's taking from his friends meal and tasting himself. And some friends are tasting. Say, oh, this is so good. Krishna, try it. And they give Krishna their own remnants, their own leftovers, breaking all rules and regulations. <laughs> and one name of Brahma is Bidhi, which means he who follows all rules and regulations. So Brahma's head was like, four heads were starting to spin at this moment. Like, and he thought, because he came with this idea, I understand Krishna, I know who he is. When he's seeing Krishna in that picnic dynamics, he con concluded that cannot be Krishna. He's an imposter. Because he compared notes. He, no, no. The Krishna I know is the Krishna. Is the actual, this is, cannot be Krishna. He was too attached to his own version of Krishna. Now Krishna was invited him to a more upgraded version. But Brahma was too attached to, I understand Krishna. And I won't tell you the whole Lila because it's too long and too beautiful. It's too beautiful to continue, but too long at the same time. <laughs> but in a few words, the, the Lila is called Brahma Bimohan Lila. Bimohan means bewilderment. So after a few, Brahma tries to kidnap Krishna's friends and cops and try to show to the world, this guy is, is an imposter. <laughs> and Krishna expands himself in the form of those friends and cops. So Brahma leaves and returns thinking, okay, Krishna must be in anxiety. This guy, must, this imposter must be in anxiety because of the kidnapping I made. And he returns and says, all the cops are there, all the friends are there. They continue like not normal and say, What's going on? I put all these cops and friends in a cave. He goes to the cave. And he finds cops and boys there, which were an expansion Krishna made. <laughs> he returns. Cops and boys are there with Krishna. Brahma's like, what's going on here? No? So his, his forehead's spin more quickly now. <laughs> and eventually, all these boys and cops were expansions of Krishna and show each of them 
as Bhagavan and as God himself. And Brahma is seeing all these different forms of God coming from each one of these friends and cubs. And the four heads of Brahma were like spinning like nothing at this point. And eventually all those forms disappear. And the only thing that keeps remains in front of Brahma was Krishna with a lump of food from the picnic, like looking for his friends and calves. Like, so Brahma understood, oh my gosh, I, I, I've made a huge mistake here, a huge mistake. <clears throat> and then he start, starts to pray to Krishna. <clears throat> uh, I would like to share the exact verse here because it's, it's very beautiful, but let's see if I find it. I hope so. But he starts, in, at the end of that, he, he pronounces a very beautiful set of prayers. Brahma says like this, basically his last verse. Brahma tells Krishna, says Krishna, <clears throat> those who say that they know, let them know. Brahma himself said that a few minutes ago, this. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I do not wish to speak very much about this matter. Oh my Lord, let me say this much. As far as your opulences are concerned, they are all beyond the reach of my mind, body, and words. That's all I can say, Brahma A few minutes ago, I used to say, I know, Krishna, I understand. Now I'm saying, those who say I know, he, Brahma prefers to align himself with Socrates now. now. All that I know is that I don't know. Socrates will famously say. No? So that's the type of divine ignorance I've talked about here. No? There is a type of ignorance. I don't know. And I know Krishna, but at the same time, I don't know. There's so much more to him. He's such a mystery, unlimited. In Christ, mystical Christianity, they speak a lot about God as eternal mystery. And I like that idea because that has keeps us in a humble position of whatever I know, it's just one point in infinity. I cannot never claim. Now I understand God. So that's a very, sorry that I am folding too much this point and I'm, Excited about that because I, I think it's a very important point to understand how we can be impersonal mm, to, in our relationship with God. Mm. <laughs> so we are almost concluding. I don't know if there is any other thing you would like to share, but I wanted to share these few words in terms of, okay, we, we can be, the conclusion is we can be pretty impersonal in so many ways <laughs> in relation to ourselves, to others, to this world, to God. And of course, impersonalism is the antithesis of personalism. Remember the title of today's personalism and saintliness. So in principle, we are personalists. We are radically, we are radical personalists. That's why I call my book Radical Personalism. We want to be personalists to the root. So we should be very, pay close attention not to engage in the above forms of impersonalism while representing a radically personal tradition. Uh, so trying to be as honest as we can with ourselves, which is synonymous with saintliness, as we made today this important point. Saintliness is synonymous with honesty, authenticity, and that has to do with us being a person and allowing everything else to be a person. God, each one of you, everything that surrounds us. So anyhow, some thoughts I want to share today. Thank you so much for the invitation, your presence, your attention. I don't know if we have a few minutes for questions, or we are already in time for doing some little kirtan before concluding. Maybe we can field one question before. Okay. Okay. Because we have, of course, we have questions and comments in between the lectures. So I don't know if there is at least one question you would like to share today. 
for those who have time tomorrow in the morning, we will have also a meeting with Q and A. So also you will be invited. Any other questions from anyone? Yes. Thank you first for giving me a lot to think. My question is this term spiritual bypassing. Mm. It's like I remember never hearing it, mm. and then all of a sudden I'm hearing it all the time. Mm. And I've heard a definition; it went right above my head. Mm. Please define spiritual bypassing for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I talk quite a bit about that in my book as well because I consider it's a very important point. A spiritual bypassing basically means using spirituality as an excuse not to practice spirituality. <laughs> basically we talked a little bit about that today like using creating a facade so to say of spirituality exactly to avoid doing what you are expected to do as a spiritual practitioner no because again you can be a a clear transparent materialist <laughs> and that's one thing but you can be a masked materialist that masks himself into a facade of spirituality. And that's pretty much more dangerous because you pass as a saintly guy and you are cheating even not even others, maybe cheating your own self. Like, oh, no, I'm so saintly because I'm doing this and this and that. But actually, we may be using all this as a way to avoid what we need to work internally. So spiritual bypassing mostly has to do with that, using spirituality to avoid spirituality. <laughs> In general, I'm describing, of course, examples and things we can go into detail. That requires a separate lecture, but basically that has to do it. And I'm happy that the term is quite popular nowadays. I mean, I, I'm sad also because I'm sad in the sense that that shows that there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> uh, but also I'm happy that that's being brought to our attention and so we can not take things for granted, but have discernment and know when, when one thing is one thing and not the other Thanks for your question. Okay, so we'll conclude here. So it doesn't become too late. We will share a brief kirtan before concluding. And of course, if you have time, tomorrow at 7 in the morning, we'll have one last meeting with Q&A only. So just in case you have any questions on any topic and you have time to come. Mm -hmm. And we will also uh, stream that online for those who are connected and watching. So. Thank you very much to all of you. Sri Sri Gornitai Ki Jai. Sri Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai. Sadhu Sangha Ki Jai. Gaur Praman. Hari Hari Go. Okay, so I think I can do it from here. Let's see. Maybe we can use the. Two of them? Yeah. Okay. okay, I can leave it here. here. So, okay, I put, put the harmony there. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> you can play more than that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This was from before? Oh, 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 yeah, 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 sorry. <laughs> Sometimes it's this part that is like something. Yeah. Yeah.